Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The cornerstone investment of most people's lives is still too far out of reach for so many people. And for reasons in Detroit, that is true along hard racial lines. Today, we're going to talk about black home ownership in Detroit, its profound history, how it has declined, and a new report that suggests ways to increase opportunities in our city. It's all next on Detroit Today, but first the news from NPR. Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, your host, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. Before we get started with our planned subject for today's show, I want to talk just a little bit about the news that broke last night from Washington about a potential ruling by the Supreme Court that appears, at least, to overturn Roe v. Wade, the 1973 landmark Supreme Court case that legalized abortion in the United States. There are a lot of reactions already to this opinion, which not only appears to overturn Roe, but pours gasoline, really, on the cultural war that has existed over reproductive rights for a really long time. And there are going to be a lot of emotions that spill out over the period of time between today and when we finally do get an opinion from the justices in Washington about what they think about Roe v. Wade. We are working really hard here on Detroit Today to put together a show later this week to really take a look at the opinion that leaked, to put it in the context of what the court has been doing with regard to abortion in recent years, and, of course, to talk about uh, how this all relates to the arguments that we're having in this country over privacy, over individual rights, over religion, all of the things that get wrapped up in issues like abortion. But I want to do two things before we get to that show, which will be, again, later this week. First, I want to encourage everybody to think really hard about the things that led us to this moment. The decisions, the actions, the obstructions, the arguments. Roe is going to be 50 years old next year. So for many of us, it's our entire lives that we've been having this argument and watching this struggle back and forth. What are the things that happened during that time that put us here on the precipice of a major reversal with regard to the idea of privacy to the idea of individual rights in this country. 
And then I want everyone to think about what the future ought to look like. What are the things, the decisions, the actions that are appropriate in response to this? How do you send the country back in a different direction? How do you work in a way that makes the change that so many people will be frustrated is not with us when this opinion finally comes down? I think it's very easy to get very upset and completely justified to get very upset about the prospect of something like this happening. But it's more productive to be focused on what things this calls us to do, to say, to think, to insist upon, and maybe to demand in a way that we haven't seen before. I also want to open up the phones today, even though we're not talking yet specifically about this uh, proposed uh, Supreme Court decision on the show. Again, that's going to be later this week. I want to open up the phones today to people who are just feeling something as a result of reading this opinion. Feeling scared, maybe. Feeling disrespected, maybe. Maybe feeling empowered. If you have feelings about this, if you have a reaction to all of this, we want to hear about it. Call and tell us. This is the place, I think, that we can have these kinds of conversations at these American moments. Especially want to hear from women in our audience. They would be the victims of this opinion, if it comes down the way that uh, it is supposedly headed. It's their lives more than anyone else's that would be disrupted, that would be altered by this ruling. How do you feel about that? What are you feeling about that? And again, what are you prepared to do? As always, the number here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. And again, we're talking about another subject today, really important subject that I'll get to in a minute, but I do want to provide that forum, that opportunity for people here in Southeast Michigan just to talk about Roe v. Wade, about the Supreme Court, about our politics, about our culture, and about something that I think all of us will remember as a monumental American moment. Okay, on to today's subject, which, as I said, is at least as important as abortion. We talk all the time on this show about black home ownership. And the reason we talk about it constantly on this show is because black home ownership 
is such a key factor to the history of Detroit, to the history of the black middle class here, to the history of economic success that Detroit used to enjoy. The black middle class in the city was birthed in large measure through the purchase of homes, so many of them single family homes that became the financial bedrock of opportunity across generations. And at one point, Detroit had the highest rate of black homeownership in the country. It was a point of pride, a beacon. But that pinnacle has taken a lot of hits in recent decades. The waning power of industry, which ushered in reduced wage growth and economic insecurity, was followed by massive disinvestment and abandonment that made so much of the investment black people made in property worth less than it should be, or just worthless overall. Detroit is now a majority renter city as of just about a decade ago, a fact that absolutely decimates decades of wealth building for the city's black community. So much has been lost, taken really, by a confluence of wicked dynamics and overt acts that it's really hard to calculate the full impact of the fact of lost black home ownership. The good news is I think we're poised to think more about how to reverse this negative slide, beginning with examinations of the barriers that still exist and in some cases are still being erected to the possibility of African Americans buying homes. A new Detroit Future City report shows, for instance, that between 2012 and 2020, potential African-American homeowners were denied mortgages at more than twice the rate of their white peers. And they were denied at higher rates regardless of their income. So let's be clear about what that says. This is not about class. Even upper-income black home buyers were denied mortgages at higher rates than middle-income white applicants. There's no way to view that other than through the lens of racism and inequality. And things don't have to be this way. Things didn't used to be this way, as I was just saying. There are ways to expand opportunity again for African Americans. There are ways to rebuild our city on the back of the idea of home ownership, which because it is an overwhelmingly black city would mean black home ownership. Former Detroit Free Press journalist John Gallagher wrote this recent Detroit Future City report and it's titled Buying In Opportunities for Increasing Home Ownership in Detroit Through Mortgage Lending. He suggests various solutions to the enduring practices of mortgage lending discrimination and the structural barriers that prevent African Americans from equitably participating in the city's home buying experience. John, welcome back to Detroit Today. Well, thank you, Stephen, and uh, good morning. Yes. Also with us is Anika Goss, and she is the CEO of Detroit Future City, someone who has been really focused on this idea of what happened to the formidable black middle class that used to make our city what it was. Uh, Anika, welcome back to Detroit Today. 
Thanks for having me, Stephen. And thanks for your uh, preamble this morning. I really appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. We will, of course, be talking about that an awful lot uh, in coming weeks. Um, So I want to start here. John, you've been covering this topic for a really long time as a reporter. Uh, Talk about how the problem of mortgage lending is sort of uh, changing and has changed since the 1980s. What is different now from then? Well, I guess we could start by saying that the, um, you know, the city's lost more population since the 1980s, probably another three, 400,000 people uh, fewer in the city now. And that means more neighborhoods, more homes are, have been uh, uh, left empty. And that makes these neighborhoods more difficult to, uh, you know, for a lender to sort of to lend in. Uh, but, you know, again, as you indicated, this is against the, a legacy of, um, you know, redlining, of uh, predatory subprime lending, of uh, overassessment, and all these things that that really uh, work to uh, damage or destroy uh, homeownership in the city. Um, so, um, you know, the foreclosure crisis of, of 10 years ago just completely devastated uh, homeownership in the city. And since then, um, we've seen mortgage lending kind of uh, inch back up, uh, but it's still pretty anemic. It's still... Uh, I mean, there's some neighborhoods that that get a lot of mortgages, and there's some neighborhoods that get some, and there's some neighborhoods that they don't get get any. Um, so I think that the the situation has actually gotten worse since the 1980s when we first started to really mm-hmm. take a look at mortgage lending. Yeah, and and you write that of 4,059 mortgage applications, uh, 2,100 were accepted, but that mortgage denials have been cut in about half since uh, 2012. Uh, has anything actually gotten better about this situation over time? Well, the um, if you go back 10 years, the only mortgages being made were made in a handful of sort of upscale neighborhoods like Palmer Woods and Indian Village and East English Village. And, and mortgages have spread a little bit more, especially on the northwest side. Um, and neighborhoods like Bagley has done much better. Uh, they went from almost no mortgages five or six years ago to quite a few recently because of greater interest in um, in that neighborhood by home buyers and also new investment by the city in the neighborhood. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the mortgage lending has increased lately uh, and it's spread to other neighborhoods, but there's still, it's still pretty anemic compared to, you know, suburban areas. And, um, and as you said, we still see racial disparities shot through the data where even upper income black home buyers are denied at higher rates than, mm-hmm you know, middle-income white buyers. So there's still a lot of problems in the mortgage lending market in the city. Yeah. So, Anika, you and I have actually had conversations about this several times here on the air and in, 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 in other forums. Um, I, I want to have you spend just a little time up front, though, talking about how this all fits into history, the things that we're seeing right now uh, in terms of the decline of black home ownership, the difficulty getting people into the homeowning market in, in Detroit. Uh, this is the end of a really long story in our city and, of course, in the black community. When you and I were growing up in uh, Detroit in the 1970s and the 80s, for instance, um, mm-hmm. it, it looked very different. I mean, there, there were we were still at that sort of pinnacle of, of black home ownership. Now we're at a very different point. But I want to give you a chance to talk about how important uh, 
that time was when Detroit was full of opportunity for black home ownership and where there seemed to be uh, the kind of wealth building taking place that would have changed the economic uh, picture in this city today had it not eroded in in the way that it did. Right. Um, yeah, I think we would agree that, you know, Detroit was a majority black homeowner city and uh, throughout the city. And the losses that we've seen, um, most of it stems from the housing crisis in 2008. That's where you see the biggest drop and where you see that, you know, there were only 211 mortgages made in 2011. So if you just start from there, right, 200 mortgages in a single city is sounds sounds preposterous. It sounds mm-hmm. like it's not even real. And so we're seeing the gains from that now. Um, but imagine the loss from that, right? That means blocks and blocks were emptied out when we turned from a homeownership city to a renter city. But I, I, you know, I think what concerns me the most, Stephen, is not so much the the far look back, but how we're trending. Mm. And so we are seeing gains in African-American mortgages throughout the city. Um, There are more approvals than we've seen in previous years uh, in 2020. The problem is that it's still not enough. in comparison to uh, the population and uh, and potential homeowners that we actually could have. And I think what's even more troubling is that the mortgages that are in Detroit, particularly approvals for African-Americans, are low uh, mortgages, right? So smaller mortgages that the, the majority of the financial institutions are not able to actually underwrite for whatever, for many reasons that we outlined in the report. Mm-hmm. The, the challenge with that is that the higher mortgages are only going to fewer parts of the city. And those are also parts that correlates with parts of the city that are also growing with white upper income households. Um, so the trend for that, and I'm not, I'm not saying it's causal, I'm saying it, it's cor- it correlates. The trend for that is what we need to be most concerned about. So the, if, we, if we are only investing in the areas where there's high growth of upper middle and upper class white households, and those are the places of investment, that will that will continue to grow. That will continue to snowball. And the other side of that coin is that neighborhoods where where black families are trying to buy homes will still be very low mortgages, majority rental, and uh, and and not having the kind of scale that we need to revitalize some of these neighborhoods that haven't seen mortgage activity in a long time. Yeah. And finally, the bigger picture for that is that 
capital flow is really what we need to be focused on, right? That's why mortgages are so important. Mm -hmm. And this is just one side of it, right? Like we, you could say, oh, but we're buying a bunch of land bank homes. The land bank is almost out of homes. There's so many land bank homes and those are homeowners too. Yes, they are, but it's the mortgage that actually triggers valuation that actually triggers other kinds of lending and capital flow in a neighborhood. And if 15% of Detroit has zero mortgages, those are areas of the city that are the hardest, that end up being harder to invest than anywhere else. And that to me is the real problem that we need to be focused on. Yeah. I mean, there is this idea of what the city's quote-unquote comeback or revitalization or surge or however you want to define it is going to look like and and who it will who it will benefit this question about mortgages is absolutely at the center uh of that issue if you cannot include uh, the majority population of this city uh in in the real estate growth that's happening you you can't make up the gaps that uh, that exist. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about mortgages and home ownership uh, in Detroit and how it affects the African American community here. Uh, I also will get to some phone calls uh, about this draft opinion overturning Roe v. Wade uh, that uh, was leaked yesterday in Washington. Uh, We want to continue to hear from folks who are maybe shocked or angered or frightened by what they read. Uh, Later this week, we will put a show together to talk about all of the different dimensions of that. Uh, Meanwhile, we also want to hear from you about mortgages and homeownership in Detroit. What do you think about the changes that we've experienced and the losses that we've sustained, particularly among African-Americans in terms of homeownership here in Detroit. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put your comments there, and uh, we'll include you in the show that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Right now, my guests are John Gallagher, former reporter and columnist at the Detroit Free Press, who is the lead author of a Detroit Future City report titled Buying In, Opportunities for Increasing Home Ownership in Detroit through Mortgage Lending. Also with us is Anika Goss. She is the CEO of Detroit Future City. Uh, We're talking about black home ownership in Detroit, how difficult it has been to maintain uh, opportunities for African-Americans to own homes in the city of Detroit, what we might do to open up more opportunity for African-Americans as uh, mortgages come back, really, to the city, as there is growth in the number of people who qualify to own a home in the city. We, how do we make sure that African-Americans uh, are on equal footing for that kind of opportunity? Uh, we're also opening the phones today to people to talk about this draft opinion from the U.S. Supreme Court 
that would overturn Roe v. Wade and not just uh, overturn it, but do it in a particularly pugnacious uh, and uh, offensive way, I think, if you're somebody who believes in reproductive rights. Uh, lots and lots of reaction to that draft and the prospect that that will be the opinion that the court releases later this term. Um, they're going to wrap up their work at the end of June. Um, we want to hear from people about how they're feeling about all of that, um, what their reactions are. Uh, later this week, we are going to put together a show to talk more fully about that opinion, about abortion rights, and about the court. Uh, but today, I did want to make sure that we give people the opportunity just to talk about um, what's happening and how that is making them uh, react and feel today. I'm going to start today with Trisha and Troy. Trisha, welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi. Go ahead. Hi. I just, uh, I am shocked. I am scared. I am all of the above. I'm angry. I feel like these decisions are being made by people who have no direct experience with women, with birth, with babies, with adoption. I've been a neonatal nurse practitioner for 29 years. And I have direct contact with these people. I've seen a 12-year-old give birth, mm. and it's traumatic. And it should be a decision between a, and I, I take offense to the word woman, too. This is not an attack on women. It's also on girls, children. And it should be a decision between that human and their physician. I'm, a, I'm in medicine. Don't, I don't want the government interfering in my practice and how we make decisions. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tricia, I really appreciate the call. Uh, I hear in your voice the, the, the tension that, um, that this draft opinion is causing you know, people in your line of work, first of all, but, but also, as you point out, women and girls. Uh, who will be affected by uh, this kind of ruling if it if it does come down it is it is not just a political or a cultural issue i think your phone call demonstrates how personal it is and that is the the, the kind of crux of the argument that we're having are these personal decisions private decisions between women and girls and their doctors or should they be the subject of, uh, of lawmaking uh, by people who have no real experience or even understanding in some cases of what that looks like? Trisha, I really appreciate your call. Uh, let's go next to Kelly on the east side. Kelly, what's on your Hi mind? there. Hi. Hi, Stephen. Uh, I, I am furious. I am absolutely furious. I am stress, headache, couldn't sleep last night, shaking, furious. In 2012, I helped uh, organize a nationwide uh, protest along with many other women that was in cities all across uh, America to fight this, the increasing regulations against abortion. And we have been ringing this warning bell very loudly. We told people that if they didn't vote for Clinton in 2016 because they were angry about Bernie, this is what would happen. And we were laughed at. And I am furious that I am being proven right. We are in a country that has the highest maternal mortality rate, no paid maternity leave, no universal subsidized child care, no birth parent care, and just no access to mental health. And 
this is what we get. The vast majority of people do not want this. We have a minority making terrible decisions, all based on a religion that we don't all practice. My name is not Mary. I don't need you in my uterus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kelly, again, I, I mean, I feel that tension that uh, that you're feeling. Uh, it's obvious in in your voice and and what you're saying, and and I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners and and again uh, my advice to everyone is is still the same think about all of the things that led us to this moment and then think about all of the things that need to be done in the future to lead us away from this moment i think that's really all that's uh, in any of our individual power uh, at this point uh, okay, I do want to uh, get back to also talking about black home ownership, but uh, again, on the phones, anything goes today as it uh, as it relates to topic. If you want to talk about uh, this draft opinion from the Supreme Court, please give us a call. Let us know how you're feeling, especially uh, if you're a woman, uh, somebody who would be the victim of this kind of uh, this kind of ruling. Uh, but also give us a call and let us know what you think about the state of black home ownership in Detroit. Uh, I want to put this question to our guests from Michael on Twitter. Uh, if more than half our residents are renting, does that mean half of the properties are basically outright owned by investors? If so, how do we get those properties back? I assume they were cash deals and huge cash cows via high rent. Uh, th- this question of uh, ownership Somebody does own uh, these properties in in Detroit. It used to be that many, many more of them were African Americans uh, than than there are now. But how do you address that question of uh, uh, of ownership if indeed uh, the majority of people in the in the city are now renting? Uh, Anika, mm-hmm. I'll give you the first uh, first crack at that. Yeah, th- that's a good question. Um, and I believe, you know, after the bankruptcy um, and uh, the housing crisis, um, there were all of these really big investment firms that were coming in and buying blocks of properties and uh, going to auction and buying, you know, whole packages of homes. And we're not seeing as much of that. And we actually have a rental study that's going to be coming out um Uh, later this summer uh, that really does a deep dive analysis of the Register of Deeds just to understand who the landlords are. And what are, even in our early findings, uh, the most of the landlords own between one and four properties. So these are not investors from China or New York owning these properties. These are either Detroiters or Metro Detroiters that own a few single family homes. So, you know, the, the, the bigger problem, if we were going to talk just about rental, mm-hmm. um, we don't have good rental systems here in Detroit. And so they're, they're very new. The city is trying to put things into place to protect tenants and to, um, to support landlords to be good property owners. Uh, but we don't have a lot of good practices in place. And and let me also say, in every city, there there are rental. There is a rental market. 
there's nothing wrong with a rental market, right? right? Not everybody needs to be a homeowner and not everybody needs to be a homeowner at the same time. The issue is that disproportionately we that disproportionately those home the renters end up being low income African Americans. And that is where what we find inequitable and problematic. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. So how do we move the renters into homeowners? Into home ownership, right. right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, John, I wonder if you have anything to add to, to, to that. Sure. Well, as, as Anika indicated, there, is, there, are, there are a lot of uh, cash sales taking place in the city. Most estimates are that 80% of the uh, transactions are for some kind of cash arrangement. Some of those are outright cash. Some of those are land contracts. Um, but these don't establish um, you know, credit in the way that a home mortgage does. And um, there's a lot of uh, challenges to someone buying a home on a land contract, for example. It's, if you have a uh, a landlord that's kind of unscrupulous, a seller, uh, they may cancel the contract if you miss one payment, for example. And um, so uh, a, a home mortgage, a traditional home mortgage, establishes not just personal credit, but sort of a neighborhood uh, level of credit that's really important for economic development in a neighborhood. So, uh, so yeah, I, as Anika said, they're looking at rental, the rental market and the cash market in the city, and that's going to be important for helping us understand this problem. Yeah. Yeah. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Um, let's go to Dan in Hazel Park next. Dan, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Stephen. Uh-huh. Um, I, I did mortgages uh, for a little while, a little while back, and I wanted to know the difference. You, you had mentioned people being declined blacks that were at a higher income versus white counterparts at more of a middle income in comparison. My question is, if it's a two-to-one ratio, how what was the credit rating in this scenario? Because everything goes through an automated underwriting system, and it's only looking at your income, your debt to income, your assets, and your credit. So someone could have $100,000 they're making a year, try to buy a $100,000 house, but if they have a 480 credit, they're not going to qualify. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was wondering. Yeah, Dan, it's, an actually, it's actually a really important question and a really important dimension of all of this uh, credit score is another big problem, I think, uh, in, in the the question about home ownership. Uh, and it's something that also cuts uh, disproportionately against uh, against African Americans. Anika, mm-hmm. do you want to uh, talk about that? Yeah, I think what we um, what we actually found was that it's the financial institutions, and actually John could speak to this because he actually did the interviews with several lenders. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's the financial institutions and where they're actually making their loans, right? And so if you are a bank that is not lending in Detroit or doing so few loans in Detroit, it ends up creating an inequity regardless um, based on the number of, 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 just based on the number of loans that you're making in Detroit versus out in the suburbs. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, I find it very difficult to believe that all African-Americans, because what he's talking about is that for just for upper, for the upper income, African-Americans were still denied at a rate of 23% at, as opposed to white borrowers that were being denied at a rate of 10%. And so there is something in the system that is pushing African-Americans uh, even upper income African-Americans at a higher denial rate. And I, you know, I feel like there's, there's something there. The, the numbers just are what they are. Hmm. And, John, and I don't know if you want to add to Yeah, that. John, I, I want to bring you in here to, to talk about that experience, talking to the banks about, uh, you know, what they're doing and what they're seeing, but, but also this, this question of, how credit scores compiled, um, and the things that that may may cut again uh, disproportionately against African Americans in that regard. Right, sure. Well, as Dan indicated, um, credit scores are really a crucial part of the the algorithm, the formula that banks use to decide who to lend to. But credit scores have some challenges. For one thing, they don't count things like rental payments or utility payments, only a couple percentage points of credit scores take a look at those things. And it's it's generally acknowledged that there's a lot of renters in the city paying rent at a level that would support a mortgage payment of, you know, five, six, seven hundred dollars a month payment, but can't get it because they have a blemish on their credit score. Um, so one thing that re the report talks about is developing these alternative measures of credit worthiness which is what some of the nonprofit lenders use in developing mortgages that are that they're successively making um, to Detroiters. Another problem is with the appraisal process, uh, which is according to multiple studies, um, you know, overvalues white neighborhoods and white properties relative to black properties, even even if those properties are objectively very similar. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, we call for, um, you know, greater reform of the appraisal process. And so there's a lot of things you can do at the margin. But as Anika said earlier, the real issue is reinvestment in neighborhoods that have been disinvested for, you know, for 50 years. So programs like the Rehab and Ready program at the Land Bank, where they, they fix up a home in advance of trying to sell it, um, that's been a really successful program, but it's fairly small scale. And we just need a lot more of that reinvestment in the city, uh, a lot more job training uh, and so on that would help bring up some of these neighborhoods to the point where the mortgage market would work on a nor more sort of normal basis. Mm -hmm. Can I uh, add something to go that? Go ahead, Anika. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that because this is kind of bothering me a little bit uh, <laughs> between neighborhoods. And I think it also goes back to it's not quite as uh, formulaic as the caller described, and maybe it was for his experience, but there's a lot of things that go into approving a mortgage, and mm -hmm. that's what we learned from this process. Neighborhood conditions, and as John said, the valuation of that home make a big difference also as to whether or not you can get approved for that mortgage. So the example that I wanted to give is if you're buying a home let's say on Oak on um, Oakman Drive, right, which are very large homes mm -hmm. in the Dexter Davison neighborhood, um, and you're an upper income African American, and you need a mortgage for that 5,000 square foot Oakman Drive home, 
you and and you may not even if you have good credit you may not get approved because of the neighborhood conditions because and of the where you are of that yeah. house that's right right yeah i mean so, that, that, that's everything right exactly if you, if you can't if you can't have the house qualify for the amount of money you you uh, you need to borrow uh, you don't get a mortgage either it's not just about individuals and that neighborhood is 98% african american right that census tract so i i feel like there's a lot more that goes into this and we're hoping that that's really what was lifted up in the report yeah okay when we come back we're going to continue this conversation about black home ownership and mortgages and lending in the future of our city uh, in Detroit. We'll also continue to hear from folks about this leaked uh, potential Supreme Court ruling on Roe v. Wade. 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Anika Goss, who is the CEO of Detroit Future City, a local think tank here in Detroit. Uh, also with us is John Gallagher, lead author of a Detroit Future City report titled Buying In Opportunities for Increasing Home Ownership in Detroit Through Mortgage Lending. We're talking about lending and black home ownership in Detroit. Black home ownership is on the decline in our city, which was once the place that had the highest rate of black home ownership in the country. Uh, that's happening even as mortgage lending is making something of a rebound in Detroit. Not a big one, uh, but an important one. How do we make sure that that surge in lending, that rebirth of lending, includes opportunities for the majority population in our city? Uh, this report talks about a number of uh, different ideas to to make opportunity more plentiful and fairer in Detroit. We want to hear from you as well about the landscape of home ownership in Detroit, uh, what it looks like to you, the way uh, that you see black home ownership uh, as a part of economic health and success here in the city of Detroit. Um, Give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Facebook and Twitter and put comments there, and we can include you in the program that way. We are also opening phones uh, this hour to people who are reacting to the leaked uh, Supreme Court opinion uh, that uh, would overturn uh, Roe v. Wade. Uh, it was leaked yesterday. There is an incredible amount of response to it. Uh, I, I would love to hear from people about their personal reactions to this. Are you frightened by what you saw? Are you angered by what you saw? Uh, and what do you think the future looks like for this issue in our country? Again, 313-577-1019. You can go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there. Uh, let's go to Bernadette and Old Redford. Bernadette, welcome to the show. 
Thank you, Stephen. I want to veer just slightly because it's not enough to buy a home. You have to have some money for maintenance. I've been in my house for over 30 years, and the only original things are the bricks on the outside and the walls on the inside. I've had to replace <laughs> the furnace, the windows, uh, the plumbing. Uh, the house was built in 1950, and most of the housing in Detroit is older. We need to find a way to maintain our houses. Wow, Bernadette, that's a really that's a really great point too. Um, in the report, um, you guys talk about this idea of how to not only uh, you know uh, get people to to be able to buy homes, but also this idea of what people need to know. Uh, right. before they buy. Isn't that right, John Gallagher? Yeah. Yeah. And that Bernadette's question is excellent because so many of the homes uh, in Detroit need uh, substantial um, upgrades before they're really move-in ready, especially the thousands of homes that the land bank owns. And so, uh, you know, there are, there are some small-scale programs to uh, either fix up the homes before the land bank sells them or give people a mortgage and a rehab loan at the same time, and we could we could use a lot more of that. So yeah, I mean, maintenance is a major issue for Detroit's housing stock. Yeah, yeah, and then of course, uh, Anika, that that also plays into the valuation problem. One of the big problems that we have, of course, is that uh, our neighborhoods um, are not as well uh, maintained as they they used to be, and it's really hard to maintain. Uh, values as the, as they're determined by banks when uh, things are not in great shape. Exactly. And uh, the support for homeowners has to be all the way through. And we feel that really came out in the interviews that, you know, just if we're able to disrupt the system because it's not working for us, that would also include setting this um, high goal, right? This North Star of getting as many Detroiters uh, to become homeowners as possible so that we can become a homeowner, uh, a homeowner city once more. And that might also include sort of the handholding and, and the transparent uh, information of what is actually required to not only purchase a home, to not just get to owning that home, but maintaining that home, keeping that home, taxes, mm -hmm. insurance, maintenance, all of those things that go into being a homeowner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I want to give uh, the two of you a chance to talk also about other solutions in the in the report, just to make sure we we cover as many as as possible. Other things we should be doing to think about this in a different way and in a way that uh, expands black homeownership uh, rather than seeing it decline. John, I'll, I'll start with you. Okay. Well, again, uh, it, the, the problem is multifaceted. So you, you need to have a whole web of, of solutions. So uh, using alternative credit scores, or, uh, credit worthiness measures, that's one, uh, reforming the appraisal process, more, uh, more uh, investment to rehab homes, uh, we think we need to keep working on just things like public transit and job training, uh, support for uh, borrowers throughout the mortgage process, not just sort of at the uh, front end, um, and marketing the home to African-American home buyers. So um, 
I, I really think that there's, um, and, and Anika, I'll toss it to you, but there's, you need to do sort of everything uh, mm-hmm. because anything that makes it easier uh, to live and invest and prosper in Detroit will make it easier to get a mortgage. Yeah, That's yeah, exactly ahead, right. Yeah, that um, I think what we've learned uh, and we're benchmarking other cities that have have done this is that there is an intentionality to this. Like we can't just sit back and assume this is gonna happen on its own. I think what we're learning is that it's not. And if we are going to reverse some of these trends that are happening right now, where you have to really be able to afford and to be in certain neighborhoods in Detroit to be a successful homeowner, you have to be organized and intentional around that. And it's not just, I mean, one part of it is the credit issue, the increasing income so that Detroiters are making more money, right? So that they can actually afford a home than to become homeowners. But it's also how we invest in our neighborhoods so that we're thinking of our neighborhoods as potential middle-class neighborhoods for the people who are living in them. And our what we consider our near-middle neighborhoods or mm-hmm. our neighborhoods that are in decline right now, these are places of opportunity. These are places where we're seeing even now African-Americans owning homes, even if they are smaller mortgage, even for smaller mortgages. If we can think about how we can increase the value of those neighborhoods by making other investments in those neighborhoods, and I'm talking about open space, green space, uh, access to schools, access to amenities like neighborhood shopping and parks, those are the kinds of amenities that actually increase the value of the neighborhoods themselves. We can then actually create more of an intentional home ownership base in Detroit for African Americans. And that should be our North Star. Okay, uh, Anika Goss, uh, always great to have you here with us on Detroit today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And also, John Gallagher, former uh, Detroit Free Press reporter and author. Uh, of this uh, Detroit Future City report on black homeownership. Thanks for joining us, John. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. Happy to do it. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Uh, Come back tomorrow and we're going to talk with Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson about a new award she received for her work protecting our elections and our democracy. Also, later this week, we will get to this Supreme Court draft opinion about Roe v. Wade. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.